You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. I have taught people how to treat me. No, you're not going to push me around. You should never underestimate me, and you should probably never turn your back on me, because <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. Former apprentice candidate Omarosa, today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Well, as everybody knows by now, Donald Trump has been indicted. So I thought it'd be a nice opportunity to revisit an interview I did back in 2008 with one of the original contestants on season one of The Apprentice, the show hosted by Donald Trump. She was the woman everyone loved to hate, known simply as Omarosa. When I spoke with her in 2008, it was about a book she had just written, a how-to for women on how to be um, a B-word to get ahead in business. So here now, from 2008, Omarosa. In the time that we've spent so far, about 10 minutes now, that it's been switched off because you are really sweet. I, I've enjoyed our time together so far. Okay, Bill, do not blow my cover. I make a <laughs> lot of money being the bad girl. The ability to assert yourself, to be aggressive and to speak up is an ability that every woman should have. Unfortunately, most women don't recognize that they have that. They feel like they're trapped in the box of being the sweet girl, the accommodating girl the going-along-to-get-along girl. Well, that paradigm has not served women well, and this book really challenges that thinking. Well, because our moms told us, as wise moms do, you can attract more flies with honey than with vinegar. Well, the saying is you can attract more bees with honey than vinegar. <laughs> and the only catch to that is that bees, bees sting. So you can attract as many bees as you want. You're coming at it from the point of view of it's be, it being a strength. Oh, absolutely. When you can assert yourself in situations as opposed to just sitting there and allowing the situation to unfold without any kind of say, then you actually give yourself a power to be a part of the process as opposed to afterwards where you say, you know, I should have said X, Y, Z. I should have spoke up for myself. So many women live with so many regrets because they don't speak up. Well, what you're really talking about is just being assertive, is it not? Well, if I called it assertiveness for women, do you think they would buy my book, Bill? Come on. <laughs> I was a businesswoman first before I became an author. <laughs> Marketing 101, make it provocative and they will come. <laughs> well, I tell you, you have, and I say this in a, in a complimentary sense, you've never had trouble attracting attention to yourself. No, because, you know, cat fights are good for TV. <laughs> And I'm the queen of cat fights. I've taken over for Alexis Carrington. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't want to rehash all that. I mean, people, if they want to Google and find out the, the, the cat fights, they're there. But is, are those kinds of things, are those encounters examples of what you're talking about in your book? Absolutely. I went on a show uh, with a gentleman by the name of Dr. Phil, who I think is the biggest bully in the business. And he had all these ads about what he was going to do to me by the time I got on the show. And I went on the show and just laughed my way through it because he is just a bully. He bullies the little housewife that comes on, you know, the girl who's looking for love. He bullies her and he met his match when I got on the show. So absolutely, I use my television time as an example of when you can turn it on and when you can turn it off. Well, you have also been on a show with another man that appears to be a bully. 
Donald Trump. In fact, you're the only one, correct me if I'm wrong, who's been fired twice by Donald Trump. <laughs> I mean, is he, is, he, is he as big a bully as he sometimes seems to be? Oh, Bill, you really know how to warm a girl up. <laughs> Fire it twice. Look at that. Um, I wouldn't call Donald a bully. I, I mean, I did see the, the battle between him and Rosie O'Donnell and got kind of dark and nasty. But I wouldn't call him a, a bully. He is a very smart businessman, and he knows how to go after what he wants. Now, if I was to emulate that behavior, America would call me a I was just going to say, I mean, he's successful. He's a wonderful businessman. You're a if you do exactly the same thing. And I address that double standard, but most importantly, I put it in the context that if you go in and you use and apply in your day-to-day life, you may not be the most liked person in the office, but you will be the most respected, and you will advance. Will you be the most feared? Hmm. I don't. You know, people ask me all the time, are you mean? Are you? Does that mean that that means you have to be mean? No, I think it means that you you mean what you say. That there's more power in what you say and how you say it. Um, in terms of people fearing me, I understand that my reputation precedes me before I sit down for an interview, for example, or before I walk into a room to give a lecture, or before I walk on the set of a new reality show. I understand that that's a part of it, but I think that that fear prepares people to treat me in a particular way. I have taught people how to treat me. No, you're not going to push me around. You should never underestimate me, and you should probably never turn your back on me because <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. Now, when you walk into a situation, can you tell if people don't know who you are? They, they don't. Maybe they haven't watched The Apprentice. They haven't watched the talk shows. Maybe, they, they're, just, maybe they're one of these studious types that they stick in their little cubicle. There. Can you tell in their eye if they don't know who you are, that they don't know what they're in for? I love when I meet people who haven't. I mean, 28 million people tuned in for the uh, first Apprentice, 18.5 tuned in for Surreal Life, and another 18 million tuned in for Celebrity Apprentice. I recognize out of all those numbers that there are going to be a couple of folks who don't know. And when they don't, it's actually very refreshing because how many times can you answer the question about Donald Trump's hair? (laughs) I mean, for the rest of my life, am I going to be answering questions about Donald's hair? Come on. Well, we'll, I, we'll, I figure that'll be another interview for another day when, when you write the book about the Donald's hair. But uh. I recognize that being tough is, is it tends to be a part of your DNA. Some people are born with it. Some people are not. And so when I sat down, I really started to write the book for the woman who's never turned it on. But in my 1,500 plus interviews, I found that a lot of women have a problem with turning it off as somebody might say that I had on the Apprentice series. So I I started addressing the woman who was the doormat, the pushover, the shrinking violet, and found myself veering towards a person who didn't know how to stop fighting and stop clawing and found that those two actually have something in common. They really just want to be liked. And I say, forget about what people think about you. Forget about wanting to be like. That's why we as women have not advanced as far as we need to be. We are paralyzed by the concept that somebody would dislike us, that someone won't approve of us, that they won't let us in their little clique. Forget about that. Give that up. They're going to have an opinion about you whether you do what they say or not. Whether you go along or not, they're going to have an opinion. So why not define who you are and what you want for yourself instead of letting your peers define it for you? After this short break, how Omarosa says she can change your love life, too.
back to my 2008 conversation with Omarosa. Now, so far we've been talking about a business context. Does this work in non-business applications well, or does it work in personal relationships? Absolutely. I, I always use the example of my family. I have 62 first cousins, and um, I've always had to find my voice in a, a family that large. However, um, I've found a way to manage those relationships. I have cousins who I'm very close to. I have cousins I can't stand. I have cousins who I adore, and then there are cousins who get on my nerves. You know, I still have to learn how to manage them because the one thing about family is that you can't fire them. You can't break up with them. You can't do away with them. Like They just don't go away, so you've got to deal with it. And also in romantic relationships, I've found that women tend to hand over their power for love. They give it up because they want that romantic notion. And they don't realize that relationships are nothing more than a constant negotiation of your happiness. Between the two of you all, you're constantly negotiating. Well, you're going to pick me up at this time? No, it's better for 7. Okay, I'll see you at 7. Are we going to um, L'Oreal Plaza? No, we're going to go over to, okay, well, let's. It's a constant negotiation. It's really in terms of what context you put it in. But those kinds of negotiations are the kind of everyday stuff. I mean, there are some men who will say, okay, fine, you know, or even some women who will say, fine, I don't want to deal. You know, just for the sake of being able to agree, fine, we'll go to your restaurant. But then how, when it comes to when are we going to have kids? Are we going to have kids? Uh, how are we going to invest? What kind of retirement are we going to have? I mean, those, does it work with the big questions of life, too. I mean, not just the little day-to-day, where are we going to eat kind of questions. Absolutely. I found in my research that 74% of women do not negotiate their salaries. And that's a pretty big deal. And, you know, there's this whole movement about pay equality for women in this country. Well, how can we have pay equality when most men negotiate their salaries? I, I think the number was upward of 80% of men will say, upon given an offer, we'll have questions, we'll uh, challenge the person and challenge the offer, whereas most women will go, okay, I'll take it. Yes, the big, big things that have where you have so much at stake are when the negotiations are so imperative. Um, John F. Kennedy said we should never fear to negotiate, nor should we negotiate out of fear. And that means that we have to constantly work on our negotiation skills so that when we go in to negotiate for the salary, for the promotion, for the the car we want, for the home, that you know the fundamentals of negotiation. The problem is many women are afraid of the word no. As a result, they don't even engage in negotiation. We don't get what we want because we don't ask for what we want. And... I challenge women to ask for what you want. And if someone says no, you negotiate. You go to the next level and not to be afraid to negotiate. And it's possible to be a tough negotiator without being crude or rude or unnice about it. Well, the great thing is that you turn it on and you go tough and you go hard. And the moment the negotiation is over and you've gotten what you want, You turn it off. It doesn't change the essence of who you are. It doesn't make you a mean, ugly person because you wanted 12% as opposed to the 5% they were offering. You have to separate the action (laughs) from the feeling. And, And most women feel bad when they negotiate. I don't. I feel really, really good. Because I know that I gave it my best. And even if I, I end up with just a 2% increase or a 3% increase or $10 off and, or $2 off, I know that I gave it a shot. But that's your point, isn't it? Is that this is 
for many men, normal behavior, normal, assertive, aggressive business behavior. Absolutely. I mean, I see it. I, I've always been in male-dominated industries. My undergraduate and master's studies is in journalism. Uh, my PhD is in telecom. I worked in the White House. I've worked in corporate America. Um, I've been in the Trump boardrooms, and I look around, and there's just not a whole lot of women. And when you find yourself being the only woman, you have an opportunity to evaluate the men and the behavior patterns that they exhibit. And if you're smart, like I am, you can extract some of those lessons from them and find out what they do right. Men go into the boardroom, they negotiate tooth and nail, and then they go, hey, Bill, let's go have a beer. That was great. Come on. You know, they leave it in the boardroom. They leave the emotion in the boardroom. They leave the problems, the battle. Everything is left in the boardroom. The women, on the other hand, will say, I can't believe you sat there and tried to embarrass me in front of everybody. As a result, we're not going to be friends. You're not coming to my Christmas party. You know, this is like, it's just messy. So I have learned. I've learned some great lessons from the men that I've worked with and the men in my life. You know, it's, it's important that women know that there are so many weapons in our arsenal um, and we have to constantly hone that skill. The reason why we have yet to have a female president is because we need a new paradigm to, to how we address what life, how we deal with life, how we approach our problems and our situations. And we alone have to be in the driver's seat. We can't sit and wait for someone to correct the social disparities between men and women. We have to take the bull by the horn and change our situation. Of course, a few years after our conversation, Donald Trump was elected president of the United States, and Omarosa actually went to work for him for a while. But Omarosa, who is 49 now, left the White House in 2018. Still not perfectly clear whether she resigned or was fired. And you can get your copy of Omarosa's book by clicking on the link in our show notes or by going to our website, heardeverything.com. And while you're at HeardEverything.com, don't miss my 1993 interview with someone else who knew Donald Trump very well, Ivana Trump. I have a great confidence, and, and I know that I'm young, and I'm healthy, and I'm not poor. I have three beautiful children, and I have a great education. And I'm not lazy. I like to work. I always will be able to support myself no matter what. And my 2011 interview with two other reality TV stars. Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar. We probably have the funnest house of anywhere I know. I think we have more fun than any family I know, and I believe it because we really are enjoying our children. And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and you can find us on all major podcast platforms. Would you do me a favor? If you liked today's interview, would you tell a friend about Now I've Heard Everything? I appreciate it. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, as we head into Father's Day weekend, We'll revisit my interview with a popular TV personality whose book was all about the lessons he learned from his dad. My 2004 interview with Tim Russert. Big Russ never whines, never complains, and I couldn't possibly do what I do on Meet the Press or at NBC without understanding the work ethic, the discipline, preparation, accountability that he instilled in me. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.